Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hoops and Chill with Candace Evans. Today, I'm going to dive into the NBA Pickle matchups for tonight and tomorrow, and we're going to look into the Rookie of the Year odds, all according to Bet Online. Also, I'll give my piece on the Trey Young situation and what then got into Anthony Davis because the dude is on a tear. We're going to look at the fallout from the Las Vegas Invitational, discuss LeBron v. Jerry Jones, and I'm going to talk about Don Lemon trying to cross into the sports discourse. But before we touch any of that, we're going to dive into the headlines from last week. Nike has ended its eight-year commercial relationship with Kyrie Irving. The Brooklyn Nets player recently caused controversy after he posted a link to an anti-Semitic film on social media. Nike's move comes one month after the athletic apparel giant suspended its relationship with Irving over a tweet he shared in October. In a one-line statement to CBS News on Monday, Nike said Kyrie Irving is no longer a Nike athlete. Golden State Warriors star Klay Thompson is now 14th all-time in three-pointers made, passing Dirk Nowitzki last night in the Warriors' defeat to the Indiana Pacers. UConn sophomore AZ Fudd is expected to miss three to six weeks with a right knee injury she suffered in the first quarter of the Huskies' loss to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish on Sunday. Michigan State men's basketball is back on the outside of the Associated Press Top 25 college basketball poll after a two-week stay. North Carolina men have also dropped out of the Top 25 after starting the year ranked number one. I'm not even going to stress over it. My Tar Heels will be fine. We will figure it out. We just need Armando Baycott to be healthy. 22 years ago on this day, the Golden State Warriors pulled off an upset over the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers in an overtime thriller. Golden State was led by Antoine Jameson's 51-point career-high performance. By doing so, he became one of 12 players, eight at the time, to record consecutive 50-point games in NBA history. On the other hand, was the young superstar Kobe Bryant. He went off for his career high at the time in his first 50-point game, scoring 51. The duel was the first time in nearly 38 years and only the third instance at the time in NBA in NBA history that opposing players each scored at least 50 points in a game. Looking to up your shoe game this holiday season? Run over to Unapologetic Sports on Instagram for custom Air Force Ones and NBA sneaker designs. Doesn't matter your team or shoe size. Unapologetic has you covered to be a fan in the most unapologetic fashion. Again, that's unapologetic underscore sports on Instagram to build up your custom Air Force One collection this holiday season. The best fans are the ones who are unapologetic. Follow and shop Unapologetic Sports on Instagram at unapologetic underscore sports. Okay, so we're going to dive right into today's NBA Pick'em. Again, how to play, all you have to do is answer questions on NBA games each day. Tune in to see how your pregame picks play out. Come back during live action to answer live questions because it'll get you more points. Build up your points towards awesome weekly prizes. And the best part, there is no purchase necessary. The first game on tonight's slate is the Lakers at the Cleveland Cavaliers at 4.30 p.m. West Coast time. First question for the game is which team will have 15 points first? I'm taking the Lakers here. They have been getting off to great starts. Their problems come late, whereas the Cavaliers have allowed large scoring outputs in the first half of their last three games. Next question, same game. Which player will score more points, Donovan Mitchell or LeBron James? LeBron is great. He is one of the greatest all time. 
but this season he has not been the LeBron we love slash hate. He has had hard times beating people off the dribble with ease. Scoring has not come as natural as it has in the past, so I'm going to take Donovan Mitchell in this one. Mitchell has been the leader of this Cavs team offensively. The Cavaliers have been have been rolling prior to their loss to the Knicks, and I expect for Donovan to have a big night. In the, I actually expect the Cavaliers to win this game. Which team will have more assists, Lakers or Cavs? Taking the Lakers in this one, Russell Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder have both been doing a phenomenal job of getting the ball moving on offensive end, whereas the Cavaliers' backcourt can get very isolation happy, and they take a lot of ill-advised shots. When I'm saying their backcourt, I'm talking about Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. The Lakers have more assists. Which team will make more free throws, Lakers or Cavaliers? Despite the Cavaliers being bigger on paper, I'm actually going to take the Lakers in this one, solely because Anthony Davis has been feasting as of late. And when he is going, he is impossible to guard without fouling. When he is a top five player in the league, which he has been playing that type of basketball as of late, he is impossible to defend without putting on the free throw line. He gets to the free throw line almost every other possession when he's playing like this. Him alone can get more free throws than an entire team, especially a team that relies heavy on the three-point shot like the Cavaliers. And again, when I say rely on the three-point shot heavy, I mean Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Moving on to the next game, we're going to be looking at the Detroit Pistons versus the Miami Heat at 4.30 p.m. West Coast time. Which team will be the first to 15 points, Heat or Pistons, taking the Heat in this one? They have been playing some ugly basketball. A team with vets and championship aspirations generally figure things out around December. And who else to figure it out against the Pistons? Which player will grab more rebounds, Isaiah Stewart or Bam Adebayo? Taking Bam in this one, Stewart is an undersized power forward, and I see him play center at times. And what? He's like 6'8", 6'9", on a good day. Not that athletic. Taking Bam all the way. Last game tonight is at 7 p.m. Dallas Mavericks versus the Denver Nuggets. Which team will have 15 points first? I'm taking the Mavs in this one. Luka and crew are generally rolling early, especially Luka. He comes out bombing from the gates. Tim Hardaway Jr. has found his stroke and the Mavs are getting their lives together on the defensive end. Which player will have more assists, Luka Doncic or Nikolai Jokic? I'm actually taking the Joker in this one. Even though Luka has the ball more, he takes up a lot of the shot clock, whereas the Joker passes with a faster pace. Luka gets the ball, he does his three to five dribble between the legs, his hesitation that's kind of a carry, backs the person down, and then he'll do his up and under and find his open man across the court. And it's gorgeous. It's pretty basketball. But it takes up a lot of the shot clock. Whereas the Joker, he's getting the ball in the high post and immediately finding the open man if he's not in a position to score right away. His reads are quicker, more decisive. He's actually looking to pass first. Joker to have more assist. Which team will make more threes? Mavs or Nuggets? I'm taking the Mavericks. They live and die by the three. Even on an off night, they take many more threes than the Nuggets. So statistically speaking, they're likely going to make more. Next question goes live at the start of quarter one of the Pistons-Heat matchup at 4.30 p.m. West Coast time. Again, that question will be worth double. Trey Young and his head coach, Nick McMillan, had a heated exchange that led to Trey ditching the Hawks game versus the Nuggets on Friday. Not only did he not play, he didn't even show up to the arena. So a reporter asked him yesterday what happened. And things got heated between Trey and the reporter. Take a listen. 
situation. I mean, we're all grown men here, and there's sometimes we don't always agree. And um, I mean, it's unfortunate that private private situations and private conversations get out to the public, but I guess that's what the uh, world we live in now. But uh, I mean, I'm just I'll just focus on basketball and focus on helping my team win, and that's what I got to get to refocus it on. But what's public was that you not at the game. So why weren't you there? Man, it's not you. It's not you at me, bro. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, you're leader of this team. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard for people who don't know the full situation to, to understand it. So, I mean, it's like I said, it's a private matter again, and it made public, which is unfortunate. Um, and if it was state private, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But uh, like I said, it's unfortunate. But my, my job and my goal is to, to win a championship, and that's all I focus on. But you can see the perception, though, Trey. You are a leader of this team, and when you're not there to yeah, support your you, guys. When you're, when you're an outside guy like you are, and you don't understand in a private matter, in a private situation, uh, you should probably stay on the outside. And like I said, it's unfortunate that everybody has to understand and, and know a little bit of the details that went on inside. But, um, I mean, inside here, we're all good. and. Uh, I mean, if you got any more questions about that, then you can you can talk to somebody else about it. That's all I got to say about it. Again, I respect what you're saying about the, the, the private of, of, of the locker room, the private of, of the practice core. We're not here. I guess it's just a public thing of you not going to support your teammates when you're healthy about not going on the bench. So where's the disconnect there? If I was healthy, I would have been playing. But, I mean, John was in a boot, and he was still at the game. Yeah, but you don't know the full story. Again. You wanna... Again. No, I don't want to. I'm on record on this very podcast explaining why it is hard to coach, especially in the NBA. AAU culture mixed in with new levels of entitlement with the younger generation, which is my generation, so I think I could say it. It has made it nearly impossible to fully coach nowadays. And I think it's hard for people to understand this because when you think of coaching in sports, you're really just thinking about X's and O's. What are the plays? What are the adjustments? But when a team hires a coach, they are hiring someone to not only make their plays, they are practically hiring self-awareness. What are, what are our strengths on and off the court? And how can we fix it? What's our identity as a team? Do these guys fit on a basketball level, level and on a personality level because the two affect each other? If they don't currently fit, how can you make it fit? It's not just drawing up a play. It's not just making a practice plan. When you are a coach, it has, especially as the levels get higher and higher, you are a therapist. You are a family member. You are a scapegoat. And it is very difficult to balance all of those acts. In this case, you have a player whose strength is also a hindrance. And that's normal for most people. And it's usually what helps you ends up biting you in the ass in the long run, generally speaking. In the case of Trey Young, his fearlessness mixed with his audacity makes him a threat on the court because he will always bet on himself. One for 17 from the field, he's going to keep shooting. Bum ankle, he's going to play on it. Lower seed, he doesn't view it like that. He thinks that he, he's the favorite. Constructive criticism, though, not really going to take it. He's so singular-minded that in his belief in himself is so strong, he can't acknowledge weakness. Listen, I'm from L.A., born and raised Kobe is a god in LA he was the most driven human being arguably the league has ever seen and in the end he broke up Shaq and the Lakers hell he ran off Phil he pissed everybody off Trey isn't half of Kobe but he has that singular mindset 
It's what's causing the rift between him and John Collins. It's why we always hear John Collins and trade rumors and he wants out. It's what got Lloyd Pierce fired. And I know we don't like to talk about it, but it happened. It's what caused this blow up between him and Nate McMillan. And if the Hawks are going to take the next step, it has to change. Anthony Davis has firmly inserted himself into MVP conversations after a week of pure dominance. That included closing out Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee. He also had a pair of 50-point double-doubles, and he led the Lakers to an 8-3 record after starting the year 2-10. and 10. I'm not shocked that Anthony Davis has come alive in the way he has. The best thing for Anthony Davis was LeBron missing those four games. When LeBron went out, the Lakers got Dennis Schroeder back. And they had to rely more on Russell Westbrook. Love him or hate him, Russell has been finding AD inside the paint. AD is at his best when he is inside that paint, back to the basket, getting deep touches, and finishing layups. When he has to float around the perimeter and wait for LeBron to kick it out to him, he's not even a top 10 player in the league. When the offense is flowing through him, playing inside out, he is damn near a top five player in the league. Can he sustain this play is the question that really matters. And honestly, it's not even about sustaining the level of play when it comes to AD, it's about health. AD has moments every year where he looks like a generational talent. And then he has some unfortunate injury. And I know it's not fair. A player cannot control their health. But when a player is always in and out of the lineup, it just becomes a part of their narrative. And unfortunately for Anthony Davis, he has never played more than 50 games in a season. So his narrative, his narrative is that of a good player who is injury prone. Hate to see it, but it's the truth. So while he is playing phenomenal, he is carrying the Lakers on his back. He may very well have a back strain in the next two weeks. Do I expect Anthony Davis to carry the Lakers to a top six seed where they are guaranteed for a playoff round? And hell, do I expect him to win MVP on top of that? No. To do that, he would have to appear in a minimum 70 games. And I just don't think he can do it. History tells me he cannot do it. I read in a manga one time, don't make the man the mountain. That quote, came to my head over the weekend when everyone was talking about the LeBron James, Jerry Jones discourse. And to recap, LeBron asked reporters, why haven't they asked him about Jerry Jones when they were all flocking to ask him about Kyrie Irving? And Jerry Jones responded, basically saying he respects LeBron as an athlete, but not anything past that. It's easy to make this conversation about LeBron and Jerry Jones, but the conversation is actually about the way the media frames the missteps of Black people, and they typically are harsher when it comes to the missteps of Black people than those of white people. We can all go back and forth about what LeBron said or what Jerry Jones did or why he should and shouldn't be asked a question about it, but no amount of debate and disagreement changes the point which is that race issues are framed differently according to the color of the individual. And sometimes I think that's by design. If we debate the person, we don't have to address what the person said. It's a trap we all fall into time and time again, because it's easier to have an opinion about an individual 
it's easier to have an opinion on words than to actually dive in into the context because the context often makes us uncomfortable. We have to have self-awareness and we have to admit where we have our own implicit biases. Personally, I wish we were all talking about why the media sometimes has double standards when it comes to race instead of, well, LeBron doesn't play in the NFL, so why would they ask? Because the latter wasn't the point, but the latter is what's primarily being framed. And the latter is a trap. And it is a trap that nearly every sports show has fallen into over the past six days. And it's highly unfortunate. Three women's basketball teams have withdrawn from a Las Vegas tournament as a part of the continuing fallout from a similar event at a strip resort over Thanksgiving weekend where safety concerns were raised. Dayton, Purdue, and Texas a are out of the Las Vegas Holiday Hoops Classic at the South Point Arena. Those schools, according to the tournament operations manager, Brett Seymour, had agreed to be additions to his tournament in coordination with officials from Destination Basketball, which ran the Las Vegas Invitational last month at the Mirage. The Las Vegas Invitational experienced problems, including not having medical personnel on site, which resulted in Auburn freshman Carissa Richardson laying on the court for 50 minutes after falling hard and appearing to hit her head before EMTs arrived. Texas A&M coach Joni Taylor had this to say in a statement. Quote, we are all about giving our players the opportunity to play the game they love. Given the circumstances surrounding the Las Vegas Invitational, we decided to withdraw from the tournament. We are very thankful to Purdue for being adaptable and allowing for us to host them instead. End quote. The Las Vegas Holiday Hoops Classic will be played December 19th through the 21st and includes Campbell, Cleveland State, Jacksonville State, Linwood, and Utah Tech situation i mean we're all grown men here and there's sometimes we don't always agree and um, i mean it's unfortunate that private private situations and private conversations get out to the public but i guess that's what uh the world we live in now but uh i mean i'm just i'll just focus on basketball and focus on helping my team win and that's what i got to get to refocus it on but what's public was that you not at the game so why weren't you there man it's not you uh so you was at me, bro. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, you're leader of this team. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard for people who don't know the full situation to, to understand it. So, I mean, it's like I said, it's a private matter again, and it made public, which is unfortunate. Um, and if it was stayed private, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But uh, like I said, it's unfortunate. But my, my job and my goal is to, to win a championship, and that's all I focus on. But you can see the perception, though, Trey. You are a leader of this team, and when you're not there to yeah, support your you, guys. When you're, when you're an outside guy like you are, and you don't understand in a private matter, in a private situation, uh, you should probably stay on the outside. And like I said, it's unfortunate that everybody has to understand and, and know a little bit of the details that went on inside. But, um, I mean, inside here, we're all good. And, uh, I mean, if you got any more questions about that, then you can you can talk to somebody else about it. That's all I got to say about it. Again, I respect what you're saying about the, the, the private of, of, of the locker room, the private of, of the practice core. We're not here. I guess it's just a public thing of you not going to support your teammates when you're healthy about not going on the bench. So where's the disconnect there? If I was healthy, I would have been playing. But, I mean, John was in a boot, and he was still at the game. Yeah, but you don't know the full story. Again. You wanna... Again. No, I don't want to. So that this week, we are going to be looking at the Rookie of the Year odds according to Bet Online. 
Right now, the leading candidate for Rookie of the Year, according to Bet Online, is the Orlando Magic's number one pick, Paolo Benchero, at a minus 375. Up next is Benedict Matherin of the Indiana Pacers at plus 275. Then there's a huge drop to the Pistons' Jaden Ivey at plus 3,300. Damn, that is plus 3,300. He went from 275 to 3,300. And then there's an even bigger drop to Jalen Williams of the OKC Thunder at a plus 7,500, 7,500. And then you got to scroll, 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 scroll down because there's another big drop to the Sacramento Kings, Keegan Murray at a plus 12,500. It's early. Rookie of the Year is one of the hardest awards because you have rookies who go to good teams and they have minor roles even though they have great skill and thrive in those roles they are not as high on the scouting report and then you have rookies who go to sucky teams that have crappy records but they have solid stats they have their 25 points a game but they have very poor shooting percentages and a lot of errors but they are higher on the scouting report therefore they have the better defenders on them So when it comes to gauging a rookie, it is difficult, especially when we're talking rookie of the year. What I will say, I'm kind of shocked to see Benedict Matherin to be on this list while his teammate rookie Andrew Nimbard is not. And I only say that because the Pacers have a winning record and the rookies have a very big hand in that winning record. But the rookie with the biggest hand, in my opinion, has been Andrew Nimbard. He is averaging 11 points and six assists per game and has been promoted to the Pacers' defensive stopper and is currently holding his assignment to under seven to seven points under their average. In that stretch, he's defended LeBron James, De'Aaron Fox, Damian Lillard, Jordan Clarkson, LaMelo Ball, and most recently, Stephen Curry. And he is still leading rookies in defensive win shares, holding his assignments to an average of seven points under their average. And I know you're like seven points, that's not a lot. It is hard to throw an NBA player, especially a scorer, off their game. The best you can do is make them work. But to hold them anything more than five points under their average is phenomenal. That You, you did your job. He's also hit a game-winning buzzer beater at Crypto Arena, a.k.a. Staples Center, and hit the Warriors up for 31 points in a win. Dude has been the most shocking rookie of the year and should be the rookie in the rookie of the year conversation if we're talking about impact is similar to the Malcolm Brogdon year. Malcolm Brogdon game isn't really sexy. Neither is Andrew Nimbard. But they are both extremely efficient on both ends and they impact winning. Time to look at tomorrow's NBA Pick'em. The first game is at 4 p.m. Western time between the Los Angeles Clippers and Orlando Magic. The first question is which team will grab more rebounds? I'm taking the Clippers in this one. They're older, they're experienced, they're getting their groove back, they got their stars back, and Ivaka Zubak has been playing phenomenal. Which team will have more steals in our 4.30 p.m. matchup between the Charlotte Hornets and the Brooklyn Nets? I'm going with the Hornets here. Young teams generally gamble, and the Nets defense has been non-existent. ESPN matchup between the Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks at 4.30 p.m. West Coast time. Who will have more assists, DeJounte Murray or Jalen Brunson? 
I'm going with DeJounte Murray on this one because he has been doing a great job of finding the Hawks shooters and dumping it down to John Collins, whereas Brunson has been having to carry the load as far as being a scorer. Lakers-Raptors at 4.30 p.m., which team will put up 15 points first, taking the Raptors here. They're young, they can shoot, and they have had a rough start to the year, and they're going to come out guns blazing. Kings-Bucks, 5 p.m., which player will grab more rebounds? DeMontis Sabonis or Giannis Antetokounmpo? I'm going with Giannis Antetokounmpo on this one. That athleticism, that length, and that physicality is something the Kings are not going to be able to stop. Only thing they can hope is that he gets in foul trouble. First to 15, Pacers-Timberwolves, 5 p.m., taking the Pacers in this one. They've been playing good team basketball, and they found their defensive identity. Coming off of back-to-back, they have to look to get a quick start early. Which team will make more three-pointers? Pistons-Pelicans, 5 p.m., going with the Pels on this one. Zion Williamson has been forcing double teams down low, leaving the shooters to have target practice on the perimeter. And Jose Alvarado has been shooting lights out. Which team will be first to 15 points? Golden State Warriors or Utah Jazz? 6 p.m. taking the Jazz. The Warriors have not been getting off to good starts in their last four games. They have allowed teams to jump out on them to early double-digit leads in four of their last five games. Which player will make more three-pointers? Grant Williams or Michael Bridges? Celtic Suns on ESPN at 7 p.m. Taking Michael Bridges on this one. The next question for tomorrow goes live at the start of quarter one of the OKC Thunder 5 p.m. matchup against the Memphis Grizzlies. That question will be worth double. This next topic ranges outside of the basketball world, but it's worth discussing. While talking about the World Cup on CNN, Don Lemon decided to give his piece on equal pay between the United States women's soccer team and the United States men's soccer team. Take a listen. In a men's sport. The business people, the people who make money off of sports, will put that on television because we live in a capitalist society. And if people are interested in that, then there would be more attention and more money would be paid. So it's about the money. But here's the thing, and this is the point that that I was making that goes to that which is why is that what people are watching? It's because it's what they're used to watching. Why is it because it's what they're used to watching? Because men were putting men's sports on TV yes. way before women's sports. Yes. So it's the systemic okay. institutionalized it's thing. Perhaps no, I'm not saying they are just more interested no, in it. But it's, but why are they more, but you're missing my point. Why are they more interested? Because men's sports has been around longer. People have been paying attention to it more. There have been these amazing female sports stars that have only become household names in recent decades. That's the point. And I'm saying if, if they both start at the exact same point they both received the same amount of marketing and promotion and all that stuff and then we got to where we are today that would be a different yeah, point. guess what media big media giants I big advertisers this is an, another opportunity to put point. the money where your mouth is i don't believe that's accurate i respect your point and i hear what you're saying i don't believe that's accurate we live in a capitalist society and if people can make money off of whatever it is they are going to exploit it and there is a reason, and once parts, I'm sure it's part of what you are saying, and it's part of what you're saying. And these are conversations that we need to have. But I just think that Can I- we, I just think that we are lying to ourselves if we believe that someone cannot sit here and speak the truth to Can I read you a- what we're. Can I read you a headline? About. This is yeah. a fact that my smart producer Annie gave me. Quote from Forbes: The fastest growing audiences on TV are for women's sports. Growing. 
But that's because <laughs> right. the dollars go. You're missing the point. They're coming. They're starting coming at a later starting point than men's sports were. That's the whole point here. Lemon is saying that it's capital that we're in a capitalistic world. People just aren't watching women's sports. Therefore, they shouldn't be getting paid the same as men's sports. Makes sense, right? If you're not bringing in money, how do you expect to get money? The only problem, especially when speaking on Team USA women's soccer, is that they have higher ratings than their male counterparts. USA women's, the USA Women's World Cup games averaged 22% higher viewership than the USA men's team. Okay. Lemon also informs the panel that the executive who makes the decisions on what to invest in and what to put on TV screens were perhaps just more interested in male sports. He was saying that they both start at the same time. One took off better than the other, and it's not because of barriers that they both had similar barriers. One just took off because it's more interesting. And that would make sense if it was true, but it's just false. There's no basis in that statement. You have to look at the fact that women's soccer was literally banned in multiple countries for years. Women couldn't have credit cards separate from their husbands until 1970. The list of barriers go on. All of those barriers happening while male sports were 30 and 50 years into their establishment. Meanwhile, most women's sports leagues are still in their infancy. Most of them are younger than 20 years old, meaning they're close to my age. So the idea that they started at the same time is highly false. That's, I don't know where he got that. And then the idea that there's no barriers is, again, false. As a political analyst, what are you paying attention to? So to suggest that women's sports is not generations behind in investment is highly unintelligent. For me, I have to ask the question, how are you so naive as a political analyst to think that capitalism in the USA and the world is based off of what people want to see versus what white men and and in time women have made a priority for people to see, especially when you're a political analyst who consistently talks about systemic racism and how implicit biases within executive offices plays a role in how black people and gay people are disenfranchised in entertainment how is it hard to see the intersectionality that could happen for women's sports when there's black women gay women women how is that hard to comprehend when your career is based on speaking up to about systemic racism intersectionality and disenfranchisement again the united states women's soccer team averages more viewership than the men's team that's a fact both the wnba and and nwsl have increased viewership by over 500 percent in the last three years so did they get more interesting in those years don no, it's the same sport, same faces. Only difference is they were given more nationally televised games. So viewers tune in when it's on TV. There is a market for women's sports when it's actually invested in. Don Lemon saying that people aren't watching because it's not interesting is flat out untrue. 
when it's on when it is on television people are watching the more it's on television the higher the viewership has been men lie women lie the numbers don't maybe Don should have looked at the numbers before going on his rant and I think the funniest part of all of this is that while Don is talking how it's a capitalistic world and he's going on his capitalist rant and it made sense to him while his new show only brought in 71,000 viewers when on average USA women they bring in 36 million viewers they bring in 36 mil hell the WNBA regular season games bring in 400,000 viewers on average so maybe Don isn't interesting and CNN should reallocate his coins to Laura Colts or even Wolfie or how how about this? Let's have CNN Hall House and bring in Queen Megan Rapino and Sue Bird to give their takes because both of them, they're bringing in more viewerships than Don Lemon on an off day. That is all I have for you today. I will be back for another episode of Boots and Chill this Thursday. Until then and always, be safe and make good bets.